Welcome to Oh No, Ross and Carrie, the show where we don't just report on fringe science, spirituality, and claims of the paranormal, but take part ourselves. Yep, when they make the claims, we show up so you don't have to. I'm Carrie Poppy. And I'm Ross Blotcher. And oh my goodness, <laughs> this is a big topic. Yeah, I feel like I've really realized myself during this investigation. I feel in fellowship with you. Oh, that's nice. And that I have also self-realized. We are, of course, speaking of the Self-Realization Fellowship. (laughs) Of course. Of course. You've all heard of it. (laughs) You knew where we were going with that. (laughs) So it was started by Paramahatsa Yogananda. It's his uh, religion. It is a religion of all religions. So they say. It's like they're all right, but uh, especially us. Sort of. Yeah, it takes explaining. Right. Paramahansa Yogananda, which happens to be very fun to say. Yeah, you say it with the emphasis on par, huh? Paramahansa Yogananda. Oh, wait, no, I guess I say it with par. I say Paramahansa Yogananda. Mm. You say Paramahansa Yogananda. Oh, yeah. yeah. I think that's how I've heard people saying it. Yeah, either way. Okay. Anyway. But he's well known as the yogi who brought yoga to the West. Uh, so he claims. Other people say, eh. I've, I've read that there was you know someone else who kind of came over in the late 1800s mm-hmm. and sort of introduced yoga, but he's the one who stayed here and really set up an organization, right. gave lectures, and it became like a big deal. Sure, sure. It's kind of like that one lady who wants to be Rosa Parks. And it's like, okay, you did it first, but, you know, calm it down. But we wouldn't be having this conversation unless right, Rosa, Rosa Parks. Parks came along. So it's like, you know, it's like all you civil rights leader, like, you know, tone it down. You know what I mean? <laughs> so this is the yoga equivalent of the civil rights movement. Exactly. <laughs> this debate exactly we're having. Like that. And I guess uh, he's well known in many circles. It's interesting. For example, you hear these references to Paramahansa Yogananda and realize, you know, he's kind of a bigger deal than I'd ever realized. Yeah. For example, like Steve Jobs is Uh widely said to have had Paramahansa Yogananda's autobiography of a yogi on his iPad. That was the only book he had. Right. That might be like sort of the cultural touchstone for people. Yeah, it's like a big deal. Like that book really meant a lot to a lot of people. I think like the really big thing that people take from it is, oh, that's the book about the guy who like almost never slept. Is is that what they take away from it? That was the only thing I knew about it was like, oh, that's that guy who like... Didn't sleep a lot because he like trained himself not to or whatever. I think uh, one of the big draws was finally the West got this insight into this mystical world of the East, of India. And what is it that all the swamis do? Right. Oh, now we get to know. What part of the earth, like which longitudinal line do you think it is? Demarcates the East and the West? Well, yes, but past which like God is. Because apparently God's like only in the East and in the West we're like, arr. But like, (laughs) you know, the Easterns, they've got it all figured out. Where's the line where God's like, oh, it's too warm? Greenwich. Okay. (laughs) I don't know. Probably. I I wouldn't go west of Greenwich if I were God. No? No. So yeah, how did we find out about this? Well, for one thing, it is very close to where I live. Yeah, just, yeah, very close. And funny enough, right next door to the Scientology Blue Building. Yeah, and we mean like immediately next door. Like there isn't a business between them. No, yeah, there's just like, I don't know, a hedge or a fence Uh or something. And you've got this giant Scientology compound on one side Mm -hmm. that they're, you know, headquarters. Yeah, they call it Big Blue. You probably saw it in Going Clear. And right on the other side is the Self-Realization Fellowship Temple and grounds, which are quite lovely. So the first time I ever heard of it was in college. My roommate, Jennifer, 
she had one of the self-realization fellowship books that was sort of like a workbook and she showed it to me and was like oh this is just like some cool thing i thought i'd read and do oh wow so you'd heard of it before at least well yeah but barely so Mm -hmm. she was a very like spiritual type person and that was just one of the things she studied for a bit and then i mentioned that to my very good friend Brittany, and she said oh yeah srf has a huge retreat type thing near where I live because she grew up near Encinitas, which we Ah, now know is near one of the big, big retreats. Down near San Diego. Mm -hmm. I guess I first found out about the Self-Realization Fellowship when we were going through a book of local hikes that my sister had given us. One of them pointed us up toward Mount Washington and said, oh, you know, walk up and down this street, but then stop by at the mother center of the Mm Self-Realization Fellowship and walk through the gardens. It's quite lovely. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's do that. And I bet the grounds were beautiful. Oh, yeah, definitely. Gardens and flowers and little places to walk around. So, yeah, my wife and I, we stopped at the gift shop first off and we were seeing Autobiography of a Yogi and many other books written by Mm -hmm. Paramahansa Yogananda. Yeah, this is one of the things that really connected it to Scientology for me was how many books this guy wrote. It reminded me, not to the same degree, but it reminded me of L. Ron Hubbard. And I was just like, write down every word he says, everyone should read every single thought he has. And his picture is just festooned everywhere on the covers of the books and also devotional plaques and candles and all kinds of other things. So yeah, we were going through this shop and I'm thinking, oh, who is this guy? And he's you know, this pleasant looking Indian fellow. They kept using the same picture. And so imagine walking into a store and seeing about like 112 pictures of Paramahansa Yogananda. This is also so instructive because everyone wants to think they're really in tune. They can like tell if a person's okay or not okay. Everyone wants to think they have like really good judgment about people. Oh, sure. But like you're- Yeah, no one says like, you know, I'm a really bad judge of character. <laughs> right, exactly. You know, bad people just like get past my radar all the time. Right, but you look at Paramahansa Yogananda's picture and you think he looks really friendly. I saw him and I was like, evil. That guy looks evil. (laughs) Yeah. Even that kind of venerated pose that Uh, looks like it belongs on a votive candle. Well, I think so. Now I've seen his faces so many times. I'm sure I've like superimposed my notion on all his pictures since. But yeah, for one thing, he reminds me of the evil cat from An American Tale. That's one thing. But that's neither here nor there. I need to watch that again. It's it's this picture. No, I knew the picture you meant. Oh, okay. I'm just not sure. Like the first time I saw that, did I think he looked evil? I'm not sure. He has kind of a multi ethnic look there, too. Like if you Mm -hmm. had told me he was Native American, I would have been like, oh, all right. Uh If you had told me he was Iranian, I would have been like, oh, okay. Uh Yeah, so we didn't buy any things just then and there, but my wife and son and I, we walked farther into the gardens. We noticed there were like, housing for the monks Mm -hmm. there and so there there were all these signs that said like do not walk this way this is private Mm -hmm. so we just kept kind of going the ways that we could and then yeah i think we upset some people who were meditating because we were just kind of like walking through this nice garden area and they were kind of like yeah and you're like look over here look at this we should bring some (laughs) kfc sometime and i immediately wanted to read there like you know Mm, just stop and read yeah so i knew oh yeah we've got to do an investigation at some point on yeah. Self-Realization Fellowship. And we've caught up to what, a year ago now? Yeah. Maybe? Well, we've been we've been looking into this for a while, a long while. time. So yeah, I think probably about this time last year, we started going to mm-hmm. services at the temple, the Hollywood temple. Right. And that was just a little before the holiday season, the winter holidays. And they do a big thing at Christmas. They do an all-day meditation every year before Christmas. So we were coming in at this moment where it was very daunting for new 
newcomers to be there because they're right. like, welcome, we're going to be doing a 16-hour meditation shortly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think you're right on the timing because I think we were coming in right as they were doing like their previous world convocation. Ah. And we're like, well, this is like too soon. We, do, we don't know enough yet mm-hmm. to join in on that. Right. So the first time we went together... We went to the temple for like a regular Sunday service. Yeah, they've got like a 9.30 service, an 11 o'clock service. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you don't really know quite what to expect or how to dress. I think we dress nicely, conservatively, like with, you know, button-up shirts. Uh Yeah, I'd like to announce that at this point in my tenure as a podcaster, I've realized, okay, the first time you go somewhere, just don't wear a short skirt. You might get kicked out. (laughs) Right. Or they might make you wear pants that you don't know who has been wearing. (laughs) Right. So, yeah, we just uh, went to their Sunday service. Very nice people greet you at the door. Well, actually, I say very nice, and actually, I just mean they smile at you quietly. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's funny. Most of the... uh, docents or ushers or whatever you want to call them are older white men very tall Mm -hmm. they seem uniformly tall and they wear dark blue suits and many of them have piercing blue eyes and it's just interesting not quite what i was expecting but they also all look like they would have made really good imperial officers in star wars okay (laughs) yeah it's just that kind of like old british actor kind of look Oh yeah totally just like uh star wars yeah they would advertise the talks with titles to mm-hmm. let us know, you know, what the topic of the you know, sermon was going to be. And I think sermon is the right term. Mm-hmm. The science of knowing God or the infinite power within you or the universe, God's cosmic dream. Universal steps that lead to God communion. Celebrating Christmas in the temple of the soul. What is truth? Giving thanks for life's blessings. Karma, the law of cosmic justice. Oh, I like this one. Overcoming nervousness. Oh, yeah. It's so appropriate for the church. Oh, yeah. We'll get like, to that. They're, they're big. <laughs> I was just telling this to our last guest, Drew Spears. I was telling him mm-hmm. the cardinal sin in SRF seems to be uh, fidgety brain. Like oh, yeah. Restlessness of mind, I think is what they call it. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You don't want that. It's all about being calm mm-hmm. and quiet. Yeah, and keeping your mellow, man. That's how you know that you've found God. You're like, just super chill, man. You know? That's going a little hippie. Yeah, same idea. You don't really know where to go. At first, there was like this India hall, mm-hmm. and it was kind of, you had to walk down some stairs, and there was music coming from it, so we are kind of wondering there, but oh no, that's, uh, we were going for the 11 o'clock service, so I guess that was kind of like an afterward fellowship for people from the 9.30 mm-hmm. a.m. service. Right. Uh, so then they kind of led us over to the main sanctuary, if you will. And so we wandered in there. I think you had arrived before me this first time. I think that sounds right. And, and I think it was also unseasonably warm. Okay. And I was coming to join you mm-hmm. as I was coming. And it was like, you know, two minutes after it was supposed to start or something like mm-hmm. that. But I guess they were already doing a chant or something. And so that tall guy in the blue suit just kind of motioned for me to stop. He didn't say anything. Mm-hmm. But he just said, wait here. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. And I kind of leaned forward like, oh, okay, you'll let me know when, when it's time to go in. Kind of nods his head. Mm-hmm. And we just sit there awkward, oh, right. awkwardly <laughs> staring, at each other. staring at each other for <laughs> a good five minutes. And it was that moment where I was like, I'm just going to embrace this and stare right back at you. So you were staring right into his eyes? Yeah, pretty much. Cool. Cool, <laughs> and, man. And occasionally he would avert his gaze, but then he'd look back at me. But he wouldn't talk. 
And he looked a little disapproving. Huh, like, yeah. Because you I was were late. late. You were fucking late. Like two minutes late. So I had to wait like another five minutes. I'm like, you're making me more late, buddy. Yeah, you were feeling some restlessness of mind right up in there. He would sit there motionless and there wasn't any kind of indication of like, we'll get you in soon. Right, Or anything right. like that. But eventually the chanting came to a stop and he went over to the door and opened it up and let me in. And so the service is, you know, a lot like the Christian services I'm used to. Definitely, uh, except the decoration of the place. Mm-hmm. You have pews, if you will, except they're like these kind of fancy seats, mm-hmm. tall wooden carved seats like you would expect at like someone's fancy dinner table from uh-huh. the early 1900s. And then up top, you have the curved architecture of like the inside of a temple, you know, kind of that right. onion shape. You're talking about the uh, altar the, area the, right now, The right? ceiling and into the altar, right. yeah. which has the touches of, say, a Hindu temple or mm-hmm. yes. the Sikh temple look more like that. Right. And then pictures of various gurus in those, like these little slots for them, these little sort of altar spaces for them. Yes. And so, oh, you look so excited. So I know. I'm excited about these gurus. There are six, right? Six, six gurus of them. that are always at the front of the temple. Of course, there's Paramahansa Yogananda, our guy. What, what? Yeah. Yeah. So if you're looking at all six from left to right, yeah, he'd be number five. Okay. And then uh, next to him is his guru, Sri Yukteswar. Oh, I never remembered his name. Good job. Um, and sometimes they seem to just say Teshwar, like they drop off the yuk part. Hmm, that's interesting. I don't know, confused. But anyways, he cuts a very different figure, whereas Paramahansa Yogananda has this long flowing black hair mm-hmm. and kind of a slightly, you know, plump face and mm-hmm. kind of a long, thin nose. Sri Yukteswar is kind of stern looking, long Strong nose and facial hair. He's mm-hmm. got like a goatee going on. Right. And then in the middle, uh, at position three, you've got Jesus Christ. Right. Our Lord and Savior. Sure. We all recognize him. Sure. And then number four. Looking the way, you know, we are used to him looking. Yeah, the, the white Jesus that we all know and love. Uh-huh. And then next to him is a very blue looking uh, Krishna. Krishna, yep. Holds in his breath, turning blue. <laughs> and then on the left-hand side, mm-hmm. then there is... The master of Sri Yukteswar, mm-hmm. Lahiri Mahashai, mm-hmm. and he's like a grinning, uh, bald man, kind of looks like a mix between Einstein and Gandhi. Yeah, okay, I can buy that. And it's interesting because, like a lot of these photos, they have these old photos around, look like they've been airbrushed. His mm-hmm. really looks mm-hmm. like it's been airbrushed. Yeah, yeah. And so they have like, that very like glowing, you know, like where the lines of the face are just totally blown out, so you don't even see where the face stops. Really, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So you know, okay, well, this has been monkeyed with, but yeah, he's got this very kind of jovial look. He's somewhere in the middle of a, a beaming grin, mm-hmm. and then to his right, when I first saw you know position number two, I was like, oh, oh there's look good, a woman. There's a lady yeah. in the lineup. That's Wonderful. nice. Nope. No. Nope. It's just a completely airbrushed, like, reconstruction. So this one is the only one that is... Oh, wait. I was going to say, it's the only one that's not photographic. No, the Jesus <laughs> and the Krishna are also artist depictions, clearly. Yeah, you see Krishna <laughs> just standing there. Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> but this character, yeah, has the long flowing hair. He is looking upward, and the eyes are slightly pointed inward as well. Mm-hmm. Right. And that is Mahavatar Bab- Babaji. Baji. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, oh man, can't wait to tell you about Babaji. Yeah. Well, can I spill the beans? Do it. Spill He's the Baba beans. He's still alive after centuries of being alive. Right. So we've talked about, okay, Yogananda, his guru is Yukteswar. And Yukteswar's guru is Lahiri Mahashai, the, the happy guy. Mm-hmm. And then he 
was supposed to have received the Kriya Yoga. That is the mm-hmm. special yoga that is the science of discovering your inner Christ center that had been lost for ages. He learned this from Baba Ji mm-hmm. in 1861. Mm-hmm. And so he was the one who made it popular, even within India, the, these lost secrets of Kriya Yoga. Mm-hmm. And he was just some kind of businessman, but he went wandering and he ran into Baba Ji and Baba Ji decided to take him under his wing and teach him. But yeah, Babaji is apparently uh, still alive and as many, not just centuries, but like millennia old. Mm, mm-hmm. No one knows how long he's been in his corporeal form. Right. And he's just wandering around. Yeah. And they say, you know, if you, you wander in the right place, you can still find him. But of course, he has to want to be found. Uh-huh. And he can uh, disappear and reappear at will. And take many forms. And take on different forms. Yeah. So Can't lose. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Not exactly a uh, falsifiable hypothesis. <gasps> Do you think it's Ella? You, oh, your puppy here? Yeah. Do you think she's Babaji? I, I wouldn't rule it out. It, she could be. See, that's the kind of, that's the level of certainty we're dealing with I here. could be Babaji. <laughs> yeah, oh, shit. Are you? You have to say it's like if you're a cop. No, it's Are not you like, Babaji? <laughs> there's no rules like that governing Babaji. <laughs> okay. Mahavatar Babaji. Now everyone's going to write to us and be like, actually, cops don't have to say they're cops. We know. Okay, we know. We get it. So going back to that first day at the temple. Yeah, we didn't know who these people were. Yeah, we just see like, you know, a bunch oh, of avatars. Jesus got it. Yeah. Krishna got it. That's Paramahansa Yogananda. Yep. Who are those other guys? And lady. Uh, So someone gets up and plays a harmonium. Yeah. Yeah, which is cool. I didn't know what that was beforehand, so maybe our listeners don't. Mm -hmm. It's like a little hand organ Mm -hmm. where you kind of like pump the bellows. There's like a a slanted board that sticks behind this keyboardy thing. Right. And so you have to keep kind of pumping the slanted board to keep the air flowing in and out of it. And then you've got keys that you're playing. Sort of like an accordion, but bigger and lays on the floor. And it sounds like this. like a talk that's uh you know the same sort of stuff you might hear in a christian church except for being outward focused it's more inner focused i'd say except that the person delivering it is wearing instead of like a suit which is funny because you've seen everybody else wearing suits they will be wearing these kind of salmon colored robes yeah kind of reminds one of the Ethereum society in that way yeah totally yeah. except these are more conservative colors and they mm-hmm. they kind of right. stay that not as neon right the person giving the sermon who at least every time i've gone is a man but I'm mm-hmm. not. I'm not certain that that's a rule. But that's probably been not the case. Yeah, I wouldn't think so. But we'll get into that more later. Yeah, there were things that made me unsure. They get up and they give like you know 20, 25 minutes of a sermon, and pretty typical length. Yeah, and it's good advice about life. It's little stories. I call them like you know the little readers' digest stories, mm-hmm. completely unsourced. You know, there was a girl once who met a, a biker and invited him into her home, and her mother was really nervous about it. But they learned this important lesson mm-hmm. about not judging someone by you know their. T- Right. The lesson of every single story, at least in some way, seems to be, you thought it was this way, but it's this way. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's always like a little bit of like a bait and switch almost. Okay. You know, anyway. But it does always match the title. Yeah. 
of yeah, they're pretty honest. The lecture title, yeah, content. You and, will get what you are advertised. And I would say that their focus is more like inward focused than outward focused. Oh, you know, totally. Another church, you might hear something about service or about like your relationship to God and what you need to do for and with God. But this is more like what your inner life should be like. We've been spending a lot of time with them lately. And it just coincided with me reading this book called Quiet, The Power of Introverts Mm -hmm. in a World That Can't Stop Talking. And it made me realize like, oh my goodness, this is the perfect church for introverts. Mm -hmm. It was like made for the introverted one third to one half of society. Totally. Because it's all about learning to seek within to find quiet within yourself. And it's all about meditation, meditation, meditation. Mm -hmm. And just every single person we meet who is a leader within that church is clearly an introvert. And they'll -hmm. they'll make all these little jokes about how, you know, like, oh, it's really difficult for me to speak in front of you all. Mm. So if any of you are thinking, yeah, I'm an introvert, we found the church for you. Yeah, this is yours. You will realize yourself here. We maybe not so much. When you were saying earlier, like, you know, that distracted, frantic kind of Mm -hmm. person, you know, those are the qualities that are sort of worked out of you right. as you work your way through this religion are, you know, kind of those extroverted tendencies. Right, yeah. You know, oh, showboating, you know, I'm the center of attention. Uh-huh. No good. So um, after, I think it was after this first session, we decided we were going to take up the SRF lessons, which is sort of the core of becoming an SRF devotee. Mm-hmm. To take on the lessons, you have to do this little application that we had to fill out. Yeah, if you really want to follow this way and become a serious you know, member of the SRF, you need to take the lessons. Right. Those are Paramahansa Yogananda's teachings. Official teachings. Formalized yeah. and something that is kept as a proprietary document of the church. Right. And actually, when Paramahansa Yogananda was dying, he said, there will be no guru after me. The teachings are the guru. So these are like the living, just like in Sikhism, where like the final guru is their holy book. The final guru in SRF is these teachings. Which you said he mentioned is the comforter. Yes, yeah. (laughs) Uh, So I don't remember which piece of the many pieces of literature I read, but in one of them, it said that when, when Jesus said he would send a comforter in his stead once he left his disciples, that comforter, da da was Yogananda's teachings. Which I love because that is what Mary Baker Eddy said the, about... Wait, who's that? Oh, she's the uh, discoverer and founder... Oh, of Christian science. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Very yes, good. Yes. Yeah, she also claimed that for science... Science and health with key to the scriptures. Nice. Nicely done. Thank you. That would have taken me a while. I thought it was hilarious, and I still think it's hilarious, just the thought that Jesus would promise this comforter, oh, it's going to help you out. Right. And then, don't worry, generations upon generations <laughs> right. later, then finally that promise will be right. fulfilled. In over a thousand years, I got you covered. All of the people in the meantime thinking it was the Holy Spirit, you're wrong. Right. Anyway. So now you know who that comforter was. Yeah, and you know who was holding shit up. <laughs> it's the lesson. So, yeah, if you really want to learn Kriya Yoga... Sign up for the lessons, which we which did. Which we did. Now, here's the thing. When here's we signed thing. up, we had to sign a non-disclosure agreement, which means we cannot say what is in the lessons. Sorry. I know what you're thinking. Oh, but they'll do it for us. No, we won't. We don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> One, we want to honor their tradition. And two, we don't want to get sued. 
Honestly, I don't think you're missing out on that much. Uh, well, so far. I mean, we're we're only a little bit in. We're working our way through them. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to say they're not missing much. Maybe they're missing all of enlightenment, Ross. But we can say they send you updates, you know, every week. Mm-hmm. And you follow along with them. And they teach you techniques mm-hmm. of yoga and, and lessons from Paramahansa Yogananda. But I feel that those lessons are also contained elsewhere in his many other writings. Maybe not all of them, but at least some of them surely are. Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, you can definitely learn about this system and, and learn a ton about it without dipping your toe into the lessons. And if you want to do the lessons, it's like $20, to, maybe it was $28 per session, and a session is like six months. So we're not talking yeah, it was a like, very expensive enterprise if you're It was interested. like 20 bucks, and then, yeah, like an $8 processing fee or something like that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, super cheap if you want to initiate into the secrets of the universe. I think it was actually, good deal. I think it was $20 for me and $8 to add you. Oh, okay. Yeah. That part is not at all expensive. And, you know, I wouldn't steer you away from it. Like, it's, they're pretty nice, pleasant lessons for the most part. In fact, just like the sermons, there's a lot of practical advice in there and good ideas. Mm-hmm. And, oh, okay. Yeah, I can see why this is kind of compelling. Yeah. But actually, even before that, my first introduction to an in-depth look at Paramahansa Yogananda's thinking was reading his autobiography. And and actually, I picked that up after we went to watch a film. Called Awake. Awake. Yeah. Yeah, which is about the life of Paramahansa Yogananda. Mm-hmm. It's been showing at various theaters uh, around the nation in limited release, and I think it's coming out soon, like... For purchase. Uh-huh. So so look for it. It's an interesting documentary. It is. Now we should say it's funded by SRF. Oh yeah. So we're not talking necessarily an objective look, but definitely gives you the official account of his life and his miracles. It's an interesting mix of dramatic recreations. They'll kind mm-hmm. of show his early life and him getting visions of coming to America and all of that. There's also just like the talking heads and people talking about his influence and, you know, some famous musicians. And of course, Deepak Chopra, look at me. I'm here in this documentary, too. Mm -hmm, Sure. I really don't like Deepak Chopra. Yeah. He's awful. It's fair. So after watching that film, then we felt like we understood the guy a little better. There's a lot of footage. He was very well documented in his lifetime. Yeah, for sure. And very well beloved in his lifetime. Yeah, absolutely. And when we went to the theater, it was funny because like half the people were wearing robes. Uh-huh. And we're like, oh, okay, this is, this is the thing. Right. It was all the devotees. Uh-huh, yep. Devotees? Or devotees. They say devotees. See, that's just confusing. Yeah. I went straight to the Burbank Public Library and I picked up a copy of Autobiography of a Yogi. Excellent. After, after we saw that. A very big book. It was like 600 pages-ish. Uh, but it had been super popular and apparently a very influential book. And so I started reading and he tells his story from when he was young and his upbringing and always feeling this pull towards the spiritual, even though his dad, you know, wanted him to work at the railway company, you know, where, where he worked. He was always trying to like steal away and go visit the, the spiritual guys, the gurus. And it was just filled with these stories of India and all of these uh, people with supernatural abilities. Mm-hmm. And I was just really surprised how quickly he went into telling these stories just very straightforwardly like, oh, yeah, this guy would be sitting here, but he would project himself out elsewhere mm-hmm. and be interacting with other people. And this is true. And then, you know, this saint was dispensing perfumes. Yes. Was that the one you told me about? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah. perfume saint. Which is like an old magic trick. Totally. And not even a hard one. <laughs> yeah. So the the trick is like I if let's say you're pulling the con, mm-hmm. you would say to me, What what, what flower what do you love yes. the smell of? And then I say, Jasmine. And you have like four or five little droplets of oil underneath your fingernails on various fingernails. And so many flowers smell relatively the same that you just pick the one that smells the most like that. You Mm -hmm. pop it on your hands, on your palm, under the fingernail. 
Oh my God, all of a sudden you've released the scent of jasmine. It's amazing. Clap, 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 clap. He says, oh, he didn't even touch me. And then I had that smell upon my wrists and I brought it to my sister. And she said, oh, there's no way that could be faked. It is too fresh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, right. it can. It can yeah. really be faked. And a lot of other stories like that where he was telling about all these gurus. And I'm thinking, okay, you found someone who is a, a faker. Right. Not a fuck here. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> In the film, they talk about how before his death, Yogananda was like, I'm going to die today, FYI, everybody. Right. And this is like a big thing. There's a word for it. Mahasamadhi. Mahasamadhi, yeah. Uh, which is a great holy person knowing, uh, uh, willingly leaving, leaving their the body. body. Right. Yeah. He was like, I- I'm going to be gone from you tonight. And mm-hmm. then like dropped dead in the middle of his speech that night. At the Biltmore Hotel in 1952. And this drove us crazy. Yeah. It was like, um, okay. So like, did anyone do a toxicology report? I like, know. I need more answers And everyone's here. telling these stories about how, you know, he said goodbye to me beforehand and he knew. And like, you know, he's giving this public address and he says one of his little poems and he ends, you know, with some word about traveling the land of India. Mm. And then he collapses to the floor. And I read the final speech. Not mm-hmm. that impressed if he knew he was going to die. Did you read it? <laughs> For those to be his final words, I did. Yeah, he was yeah, just kind of like, okay, I, really, I really love India. Hey, you over there from India, like, you got it made, man. Love India. Yeah, he had so the ambassador good. from Thumbs India up. and his wife there. Right. And, and a bunch of photos of them together. But there's nothing like, I mean, if I knew I was going to die, I'd have these final words about, you know, life and foreverness and blah, blah, blah. But he's just basically like... The tourism industry in India really needs some help, you guys. <laughs> Instead of some final there. spiritual That's lesson great. that yeah. sums up all of his teachings. And he just drops down dead. <laughs> You're right. That would have been a, a more fitting end. Yeah. Yeah. So both of us suspect something more to this story. Yeah. So there's two options. One is that he willingly left his body without any intervention of his own. The other is he <laughs> killed himself, right? Right. And we've heard other stories where, you know, he frequently refers to, in his autobiography as well, appearing dead and people would try uh-huh. to feel his arm. There's no pulse, which is another trick. Yes. And that's where I started to be like, okay, because if you pull that trick, you know you're pulling that trick. Right. Like you can accidentally cold read someone. You can't accidentally make your blood pressure drop. Yeah, it's just like when we went to visit the reflexology guy and then he started doing the... Um, yeah, applied kinesiology. Correct. Exactly. Yeah. We're like, okay, you know that yeah. you're fooling us right yeah. now. And so, so do you want to explain how you can do that trick? I guess there's a couple ways to do this, but the most popular is just to like take a ball or some kind of object and stick it under your armpit and then just kind of squeeze down and it will cut off the circulation. And then you've got, you know, you'll have a dead arm. It'll, you know, tingle when you mm-hmm. bring it back. But then your devotees, devotees, Mm -hmm. can come and feel you for your pulse. And, oh, my goodness, he's dead. Mm -hmm. They don't feel your neck or anything because that's not what you told them to do. All right. (laughs) (laughs) You know, come and feel my arm. Mm, See, I was dead. Yeah. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so immediately when we read about this, and the way we found out about it was because it was on the back of the autobiography. They, oh, yeah, yeah, I yeah. sent you a picture of it. I said, like, stop the train. Uh-huh. He died, like, on purpose. And so my immediate thought was, okay, so he did his trick, and then he somehow killed himself? Are you saying during that same day that he died, did he almost die or die and come back? My first thought was just that, you know, he collapsed and uh-huh. was still alive, but then he 
somehow oh, chose later. a method of dying uh-huh, uh-huh. Gotcha. between then and oh, gotcha, being gotcha. sent off to the mortuary. Of course, or he's still around, <laughs> or like Babaji, yeah. he still roams the land. But there was more to this. On the back of the book, it was saying that his body then yes. was incorruptible. Right. That it was preserved. It could not decompose. They had like a notarized letter from the people at Forest Lawn Cemetery attest to the fact that many days uh, past his death, he still looks just as good as he ever did alive. And he hasn't. he doesn't show any of the signs of rigor mortis. Except... They said, but he did finally develop like a brown spot on his nose. His nose was decaying. Oh, that's right. Yeah. The guy who was like some sort of the head of caretaking or whatever at uh, the mortuary said it took them like a while to embalm him because all these people had to come in from India. Mm. And during those three days or something, which is quite long to wait to embalm someone, his body looked the same and didn't smell. And then they embalmed him and he stayed intact for two more weeks in a glass casket. So devotees could come and look at him for them this is a big deal and like right. part of his teachings yes. that his body was so purified that it would not corrupt which is interesting because that's definitely a, a big thing in catholicism that right. some of their saints are said to be still incorruptible right but if you see them they look horrible they right. look badly <laughs> decomposed and some of them have like waxen faces that have been in, put on top of their real shrunken sure. horrific looking faces right. So I emailed Forest Lawn and asked them if they could verify this letter. Right. So for actually first I looked to see if that guy, if there was any record of him, the guy, the the guy who worked at the mortuary. And I couldn't find anything other than SRFs. But, you know, I mean, this was a long, long time ago. Yeah, 1952 he died. Right. So, yeah, that's not that unreasonable. So then I emailed Forest Lawn and said, can you verify that this man worked for you guys at this time? Mm-hmm. Do you know if this letter's real? And they said, out of respect to the privacy of loved ones, we can't comment on anyone who's interned here. But you could still tell us that the guy worked there. Right. Yeah. And then I wrote back and said that. I said, okay, well, could you just verify that this man worked for you guys? No response. Hmm. Take from that what you will. Yeah. So we actually went to visit mm-hmm. the uh, the site yep. of Paramahansa Yogananda. Yeah, it's a nice little plot uh, inside like this mausoleum, right, mm-hmm. uh, at Forest Lawn. And there were still fresh flowers there, people coming to visit regularly. There were little quotes from him here and there and like a bench dedicated to the SRF. Mm-hmm. And not too far from him was Sri Dayamada's tomb. Her plot as well. Yeah. So Sri Dayamada was uh, one of his successors, and she is well-beloved. She just died fairly recently, five, six years ago. Yeah, right after he died, there's a wealthy businessman who had also been a really close devotee, and he became the president, but he was only president from like uh, 1952 to 55. And then, yeah, Sri Dayamata, she took over, and she stayed till 2010. Yeah. So for 55 years, mm-hmm. she was the head of the organization. Right. Big deal. Yep. Like, or like a real big deal, not like a big deal. Outright. <laughs> this is a big deal. Yeah. So she's there too. And actually, we took your son, Andrew, with us when we... Oh, yeah. You know why I remember? Why? You pointed out some plots that were what was probably a man and his son. And it looked like the son had probably died in World War II, like just based on the dates. Oh, and then right. the father had died later and then been put next to his son. And so you said like, oh, Andrew, look at those dates. Look at the last names. Like, what do you think happened there? Uh Uh, And like led him through it. And then I thought like, 
boy, I never would have noticed that. Uh-huh. <laughs> I would have just thought that and been like, oh, well, huh, they were probably related. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. So good job. Thank you. And that's right. Then we went to see Walt Disney's grave afterwards. Yes. Yeah. Good old WD. But Sri Diamata, her original name was something really normal, like Jane Parker. Oh, sure. Something like that. Yeah. Also, yeah, what was Paramahansa Yogananda's real name? Oh, yeah. It was uh, something like Lal Ghosh. Yeah. On. I should look it up. Oh, yeah. So he was born in 1893 as Mukunda Lal Ghosh. Okay. I hope I'm saying that close to correctly. Mm-hmm. Sri Diamanta, uh, her birth name was Rachel Faye Wright. And yeah. she, she was born a Mormon, or she wasn't born a Mormon, but she was raised in a Mormon family. Yeah. And it was very interesting that she was drawn to mm-hmm. Paramahansa Yogananda when he was, I don't know, maybe he was still Swami Yogananda at the time. But she was thinking of converting to Catholicism when she met right. Yogananda and then decided to follow him. She said, I want to live a life of solitude and reflection. Oh, this is my man. Right. Oh, and I just referenced there that at one point his name changed. Well, he chose the name Yogananda essentially for himself. And then for a long time, he was Swami Yogananda. But then like in 1935, his guru, uh, I guess, was impressed enough and you know, said he was far enough along that he said, now you are Paramahansa Yogananda. There's all these terms like the G gets thrown around a lot. Right. We ran into that. So the G is like a respectful term. Uh-huh. And so but, but also like affectionate. They will constantly refer to him as Guruji, mm-hmm. which threw me off for a whole sermon once. They kept saying like, Guruji said, Guruji. And I was like, who's, who's G? Who's Guruji? <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, I didn't even hear the guru part. It just sounded like they were saying Guruji. And I was like, well, that's like a character from the Black Cauldron. That's obscure. <laughs> he didn't say that. And those things like. You like it- raise your hand. That, uh, they didn't say that in the Black Cauldron. <laughs> Correction. I was thinking, like, are they talking about like Gurdjieff, who is like another kind of spiritual teacher? Uh-huh. And, like Peel Travers, the writer of Mary Poppins, was really into him. Uh-huh. And like, no, that maybe. I was like totally confused. And then later on, I learned, oh, they're saying Guruji. Uh-huh. Uh, very quickly, but very also they would have referred to him as Paramahansa Ji, uh-huh, and right. you can even find Yogananda Ji. Mm-hmm. So now you yeah. know, Carrie Ji. Thank you, Rasji. So uh, speaking of you reading autobiography of a yogi, this was one of those situations where we could not both read everything. There was just too oh, much, so much material. So I read another book by him called Man's Eternal Quest. But whoa, 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 wait! Before you say that, I want to hear about another show on Maximum Fun. Okay, how about this one? Hi, I'm Allegra Ringo, a dog owner. And I am Renee Colvert, a dog wanter. And together, we're the hosts of Can I Pet Your Dog, a podcast for unapologetic dog lovers. So let's talk about this. What are you getting yourself into? What is this podcast about? Well, we have dog news, dog experts, and interviews with special guests about their dogs. We also talk about dogs that we met this week. Join us every Tuesday on MaximumFun.org for new episodes of Can I Pet Your Dog? So I read another book by him called Man's Eternal Quest. Mm -hmm. Um, Actually, I shouldn't say I read it all. I read about two thirds of it. And it's just unlike your book, which I think is fairly narrative from start to finish. Mm -hmm. Mine was little lessons that stood on their own. And there were probably 50 or so lessons in it. Mm -hmm. And I'm still reading it. There's some some real choice stuff in there, oh, I really? gotta say. Oh, well, it turns out that the reason that I get headaches is because I'm a slave to my habits, first of all. Stop that. I will. So he says that meditation is better than action for the world. Like, literally, it's better to meditate than to go out and do works for others. Which reminds me a lot of our friends at the Ethereum Society. Yeah, yeah. 
just seems to kind of encourage inaction. Now, I will say, if you're sitting and meditating, at least you're probably not doing a ton of harm out there in the world, which is probably better than a lot of people. Sure. Yeah, if you're looking at it as like a plus and minus, you know, you're just staying at zero. And you know what? That's better than going minus. Right, right, exactly. And, you know, it's a world where a lot of people hurt other people. So, sure. Oh, yeah. So, he keeps insisting that we all should not sleep so much. He just keeps oh. being like, you all sleep so much. You Why do you got to sleep so lazy much? Lazy Americans. Yeah, but what he wants you to do instead is meditate more. And then he talks about how during your meditation, you can go into these oh, states yeah. where you like really see God. And I was just like, oh, dude, you're just like living in hypnagogic hallucination state mm. like for most of your life. And so I think- you're pretty much uh, asleep all the time. Yeah, I'm it- like half asleep. And is he making claims that, you know, like a little bit of meditation is worth a lot of sleep yes so like two hours of meditation is worth five hours of sleep i think was the ratio he gave at one point okay he says everyone should get four to six hours of sleep a night no more than six which i mean i would be dead by like day three not you though you're better at that stuff oh sure and then you should just decide whether to eat because you should never feel tired if you are spiritually full oh my goodness it's so hard to even like sum up Um, autobiography of a yogi because there's so much that happens there Mm -hmm. but eventually he gets these visions that he needs to go to America and he's already founded this school back in India the Yogoda Satsanga and Mm -hmm. it's like the school on how to live for boys but then he founds a self-realization fellowship in 1920 in the US and so he's running these two organizations but then he goes back to India in 1935 and so he travels around and he sees all these like famous spiritual people and places and so he talks about like spending time with Gandhi. And then he saw Therese Newman, a stigmatic as someone who, you know, gets the wounds mm-hmm. of Christ on her hands, but also subsists without any food. Yes. Very suspicious, isn't it? Very. He travels out. They wander off into the jungle and they have to keep digging out of ruts to find this other woman who subsists without any food right. in the middle of the jungle. Right. Which now they call Eritarians, by the way. Eritarians as opposed to breatharians? Or breatharians, either one. Okay, same idea. And so he clearly believes in this. One thing I've got to say, as he was meeting all these other spiritual figures, I kept expecting some sort of like contest, you know, like, Mm -hmm. oh, I'm a better spiritual person than you. You know, you're a Catholic, you know. And I got to say, to his credit, it was always just like, oh, you're awesome. You're another person who's found a spiritual path. That's great. And I enjoy being with you. Okay, now I'm going to go hang out with this other person. And there was no sense of competition or let's compare theologies or anything just like oh let's just quietly hang out and appreciate each other right whereas and we'll get to this in the second episode hopefully but there is a sort of a pissing contest going on between srf and a related group called ananda that oh. also follows his teachings yeah but that's we'll get interesting into that more later also in man's eternal quest i'm just gonna rattle off some tidbits here good or poor memory is a matter of conviction i felt like that was great news for alzheimer's patients you're just not convinced enough. Right? Yeah. You're just, not trying hard yeah, enough. Yeah, right? Yeah. Try harder, Alzheimer's patients. <laughs> the soul enters as the sperm and ovum cells unite. So I wonder if they might be anti-abortion in that case. Oh, yeah. I haven't heard them say anything like that. Yeah, I haven't either. Uh, oh, yeah. This is the only like holy text I've read where... They really believe that, like, the experience of being a fetus is horrible. They keep talking about how you're in the prison of your mom's womb and you're like, let me out of this prison. I can't see. I can't hear. I am bound. Whoa, what? Yeah. And so that's why we cry when we come out of our mom's bodies. It's because. That sucks. We're, yeah. We're like. That was awful. Jesus, fuck. Thank you. And then he said that uh, kids who come out early are just impatient. Okay. So like premature babies are just like asshole souls who like can't handle <laughs> the little test. 
It yeah. seems like what other religion was it that was saying uh, babies essentially know everything, and so they're, they're. Oh yeah, I think that's pretty common. Okay. <laughs> and then you have like the great forgetting. They're yeah. upset. Yeah. And that's I think that's in here too. Oh really? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, yeah, they do uh, very clearly believe in reincarnation, but it's interesting yes. within the SRF. They don't really emphasize doing past life regressions or right. trying to figure out who you were. Uh-huh. There's just every now and then there's like this nod to, oh, maybe we were friends in a past life or maybe you were my guru in a past life. Right. That's why we have this connection. But no like attempt to try to re- recall those memories. There is some stuff in this book, though, about finding like if you're drawn to someone and you like just immediately feel like you're friends with them, that probably means that you had past lives together and you should nurture that relationship. Uh-huh. Here's one part that I just really liked. Man with his intelligence knows how to protect himself against animals, but he doesn't know how to protect himself against his own bad habits and evil ways. We're our own threat, Ross. That's true. It's true. The best way to be successful in this adventure of life is to be your own friend. Isn't that nice? Oh, nice. Oh, I see I wrote you are dumb next to this. Let's see what that is. (laughs) There is no true vegetarian because everyone eats millions of germs each day. Shall man then stop eating? I wrote you are dumb next to them. Which is interesting because uh, it seems like most of them are vegetarians. Are vegetarians. Oh, yeah. No, there's all this stuff in here about how meat eaters are the worst. But but you're even better if you eat nothing. Yeah, I know. This seems sarcastic, too. Shall we stop eating? And then later he's like, but stop eating. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. Okay. So here's where we get into like the stuff that we're always like, oh, shit. There's some stuff in here about how like you shouldn't completely forego going to the doctor, but you should wait to see if God tells you to go to the doctor. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He says that life is a pretty bad experience. When you finish this life adventure, you will look back and say, Lord, it was a pretty bad experience. (laughs) I came near failing, but now I'm in the safety of your presence forever. Yeah, I mean, no wonder this guy wanted to meditate all the time. He just like hated being alive. Mahasamadhi. Oh, oh right. And yeah, kill yourself. Uh, those who ate a great deal of meat are often surly and full of vexation, Ross. It's what they get. Mm, anyway. For contributing to the water crisis. Exactly. Um, so anyway, you get yeah. it. There's just like a bunch of... Oh, he said wild things in autobiography too that it would take a whole podcast just like go through all the stuff. One thing that I found fascinating was toward the end, he started to paint the picture of the true reality that lies behind yes. all of this Maya, this deception that is right. this world because it's just a projection. It's just a, it's a movie that we're watching. Yeah, and this is where, you know, you can say there are some elements of a lot of religions in this one. Because Absolutely. that totally reminds me of Buddhism. There's a lot of emphasis on like how reality is an illusion in certain And I've got to say like his, his descriptions of these inner workings of the mind and these kind of celestial planes and spheres uh, is pretty impressive. Like putting mm-hmm. that stuff into words is very difficult. Yeah, for sure. And he does it as well as anybody I've ever read. Yeah, I did find this very easy reading. Like mm-hmm. it wasn't hard to stay focused. It was interesting. And yeah, this he's a good is, writer. Oh yeah, for sure. And yet a simple writer. He's not like overly flowery. I right. Don't think which could be uh, distracting in this case. Right. Yeah. One of the things that I've been struggling to express as I've been thinking about recording this episode mm-hmm. is that. 
I really enjoy this. I've been really enjoying it, even yeah. though, and it's not just the people. Like often we're like, oh, well, the people are so cool and the <laughs> community. But <laughs> in this case, like I really am enjoying like reading the lessons and thinking about the lessons and even the parts they disagree with. I have to sit and think about why I disagree with them. And just sort of that act of like sitting mm. and being sort of reflective and thinking about my inner life. And even if what's written there is obvious, taking the moment to read the obvious is something you don't always do. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It, it's a compelling portrait they paint. As he was describing, focusing on the, the Christ Center and then realizing that you are just an expression of energy and then, you know, it's a temporal expression of this greater energy that is, we're all motion, but underneath it all is this unchanging, unmoving uh, essence of reality. And that is God. And we are all expressions of it and parts of it. You know, as, as he was describing, I was thinking, okay, it really kind of does describe all of the religions. Like they, mm -hmm. they do kind of fit within that. And there would be a way to make them work within that framework. And, and that said, a lot of people from those religions would say, oh, no, 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 no. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, totally. My upbringing would be like, that's evil, new age stuff. But right. yeah, then it kind of made sense like, oh, okay, well, then the Christian tradition is just kind of telling it through this other means. And oh, constantly he's doing that. He, he quotes scripture a lot. And it's funny, we were joking that it's said to be this religion of all religions, but really it's just Hinduism and Christianity. Mostly, yeah. <laughs> For the most yeah. part, everything boils down to that. So he's occasionally quoting Krishna very commonly quoting Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. um, and he'll just take one little verse, you know, Jesus said, behold the son of man. And of course he was referring to the, the Christ consciousness. Right. Like, <laughs> like, well, wait, hang on. I, I don't know about the of Why course there. Why did he there. say that then? <laughs> yeah. A very selective reading of the scriptures. But yeah. then he would take that one tiny little piece out of one verse and uh, totally. make his point with it. Also, one of the like main things that they emphasize, at least in the stuff I've been reading, is that there are three big evils, other than restlessness of mind. Uh -huh. There are three big vices sex money and alcohol yeah interesting because yeah. i i didn't uh I, at least i don't recall reading anything about them being against sex yeah and, but and he I himself don't think is they, a sexless individual right or says he was yeah i don't think it's like a totally totalitarian thing but like because there are families there and they like have a kid's room and everything but yeah i think uh, the impression I weird. get is that it's like a uh, Paul view. If you if you've got to do it, yes, then if you can, do it within marriage. Right. If you if you can be if you a can't monk, control your lustful nature. Right. So if you can be like a monk and not and, and be celibate, then awesome. That's like the that perfect is the higher be. path. Yeah. But uh, but you know if you got to have sex, you know we need some people to do that too. So that's fine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the impression I get. But uh, but that sex like can distract you and run your life, which I guess is true. And then money, obvious. And then alcohol. They're like very, very anti-drinking. Yeah, that's true. They never offered me a drink. No. And remember at one of the meetings, they, they encouraged everyone to go to a town meeting and oppose a bar being put in. Oh, you're right. So, mm -hmm. all right. Well, I'm already a good Mormon. I'll be a good SRFian. <laughs> cool. Yeah, what do they call them themselves? Devotees. That's be a devotees. good devotee. I'm guessing. We were devotees. talking. We were talking about Jesus. We noticed with so many groups that we look at, there is this theme of I'm going to call it Christ appropriation. Mm -hmm. Jesus is a big name. People like him. If we want any converts or credibility, we've got to incorporate Jesus somehow right. and show that he approves of what we're doing. And I call it Christ opting. Christ opting. I like it. Nice. <laughs> yeah, it seems like each religion has to make an allowance for Jesus. And they all seem to adopt him. You know, like right. he's revered within all the religions. He is made to give approval of their beliefs through selective quoting 
He is just the most malleable guy ever. He is. Along those same lines, though, in their Frequently Asked Questions booklet, which anyone can pick up, Mm -hmm. there's a question that's like, oh, can I be SRF and also be Christian or Buddhist, blah, blah, Ah. blah. And they say, yes, of course, you know, we accept all religions, but... If you choose to become a Kriyabon, which is like sort of the highest level for them, Mm -hmm. you have to sign the statement of beliefs that includes that you find everything you need within SRF. So like you have to like be able to say, I wouldn't need Christianity outside of this, which I think most Christians would not say. So, uh, you know. Interesting. But yeah, it seems like if you went that far with the SRF, you'd be sure. Yeah, of course. Fine saying that. Of course. I just feel like there's like a little bit of... I don't want to say dishonesty, but it seems like it's the same thing the Scientologists do where they're oh, like, yeah. oh, yeah, of course, you can be Jewish in this. But it's like, yeah, but your temple's going to be like, what the hell? You know, like they're. Sure. You know what I'm sure. Yeah. He's definitely quoting the Jesus, quoting the Krishna, not mm-hmm. quoting Joseph Smith. True dad. Not quoting Mary Baker Eddy. Discoverer and founder of Christian science. That's the one. Amen. Love is the law, love under will. Every group has their own sign offs and turns of phrases. There was a lot of. Uh, Om mm-hmm. Shanti mm-hmm. Amen mm-hmm. at the mm-hmm. end of everything. Fo show uh, and Chai Guru. Oh, Chai Guru. That's yeah, right. Which makes me want Chai every single time. <laughs> yeah, and then putting the hands in that supplicating kind of prayer mm-hmm. look. Prayer hands. Prayer hands. Yeah, everyone yeah. knows what prayer hands are. And holding that up to the forehead or right under the chin. So I think I figured out the difference, Ross. Oh, yes. What I is the difference? I think you bring it up to the forehead when you're looking at like your guru or uh, or Krishna or whatnot. And then to each other, you hold it at the chest. Oh, okay. Yeah. All I right. started watching for that. And I think that's right. Good. Yeah, that's definitely one of those situations where I'm like trying to look as- askance and see mm-hmm. like, okay, what are you doing over there? You're Okay, we're holding it up to our chest now. Got right. it. Doing it. Well, see, it made sense to me because I thought, okay, heart chakra to oh, each other. Oh, is there a bow with this one? doing the bow okay but you know holding up to the heart chakra yes and then holding up to the third eye chakra when you're looking at your spiritual leader oh yes and chakras are definitely an important part of all this yeah yeah i remember one of the uh early services we went to was three days before christmas and they talked about the chakras of the christmas tree right and they had perfect sense and it was you know (laughs) you walk into this church it's already a blend of east and west and then there's Christmas trees, tiny ones, like they either just cut the top off of a tree or it's a very small one. Mm -hmm. And they've got seven blue lights Mm -hmm. along each tree. And so that was, uh, we were told, representing the chakras. (laughs) So But they're upside down. Oh, yeah. They were saying in the sermon that Yogananda said that we are like trees, but we are inverted. And so... Our mind is like the root system. And then it just becomes like, well, do we really need this analogy then? And then, then like, you're picturing the body and you're like, well, where did the legs go? Because right. like going to take Teacher, out. teacher, where did the legs go? <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure that was the greatest analogy ever. Seems unnecessary. But anyway, we got it. Yeah, it was interesting because this may relate to a future investigation, but we were pretty impressed with Yogananda saying that the Christ Center of Consciousness is right there. The meeting. Yeah, it was where the third eye is, right? Right, right on top of your your brow, and then there's this other center behind the base of your neck. Mm-hmm. And every time they tell you to meditate, they tell you to look up at that center, at the third eye, yeah. which drove me crazy <laughs> because I'm thinking about where that actually is in relation to my eyes and realize right. I'm going to look like Babaji in the painting with um, my eyes like very awkwardly rolling back into my head and like pointing inward. Right, which hurts a lot. And in 
the book, he's like referring to the actual structure of the brain, like saying, you know, oh, it's located in the frontal cortex. Mm-hmm. And, and then the, the one at the base of the skull is located in the medulla oblongata. Sure. He was really putting his chips down on like, oh, I know, I know the names of brain parts. Right, sure. Uh, I'm going to say that's where they're actually located. And uh, so, yeah, the one in the medulla oblongata is where all of our energy comes from. And mm-hmm. if you learn to live without any food, it's just because you're able to feed so much spiritual energy into that area that your body doesn't need any physical nutrition. Mm. And then, yeah, the one in the front is your all-seeing eye, and that is how you connect with this great cosmic wheel that underlies all of reality. Mm -hmm. I was very delighted when later on one of the leaders said, just slightly angle your eyes upward so that it's comfortable. Don't Mm -hmm. strain your eyes. That's silly. And finally, I was like, okay, good. I don't have to feel like I'm not fully looking up into my brain. Right, right, right. Totally. So also something I wanted to mention to you, Ross, real quick, is that during this time, I was able to visit one of the other shrines. Yeah, I want to go there. Yeah, it's beautiful. So it's in Pacific Palisades, which is a good like 45 to an hour from here along the shore here in the LA area. Gorgeous area. It's where, you know, millionaires and billionaires live. Mm -hmm. And they have this huge plot of land for this one shrine temple with just the most gorgeous scenery you can imagine. We'll put pictures on Facebook. Yeah, yeah. But it's where Jim Carrey got married at one point, apparently. Oh. Yes. To Jenny McCarthy or someone else? To someone else, I think. Yeah, to someone else. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's make a deal. I'll take you to the Mother Center in Mount Washington if you take me to the uh, Lake Shrine location. Deal. All right. Left-handed shake. Left-handed shake. Oh, it is agreed upon. So, uh, but while I was in there, I was walking around. There's lots of like beautiful scenery and also a chapel that's oh, yeah. complete silence that's within a windmill for some reason. And I was walking around there and I went in the gift shop and I decided to get you some frankincense and myrrh incense. Yes. Because you will remember in our last episode about essential oils, there was a lot of talk about frankincense and myrrh. Which, so. of course, we all think of Jesus. Of course. Because uh, those were the gifts that uh, two of the we don't know how many kings from the east brought him. Mm-hmm. The magi, you might say. Yes. We have it burning over here. Well, we did. We had it burning for a while i finally snubbed it's it intense. out because it is so strong it's intense incense uh, yeah i burn incense all the time <laughs> and i am incensed by <laughs> no i'm very impressed by how much that smells because i have a whole box of incense a few feet behind you ross we don't smell it it's doing fine that box of goddamn incense I got you just stank uh-huh. up the whole room when I just had it here in a bag. I brought it home like unlit and uh-huh, right. I, it drove my wife insane. It's just so strong and I had to like put it in a plastic bag and seal it because yeah. yeah, that stuff is potent. It is potent. So if you want some real heavy duty stuff, go for the SRF brand name incense. incense. Yeah, whoo boy. And not expensive. I think that box was $2 if I recall. Nice. Yeah. Available in their gift shop. All you have to do is travel to Pacific Palisades and get your $2 incense. Man, there is so much to discuss. There is so much, but we don't have the time. We got to wrap it up, but there's more coming and there will be a part two. We're going to talk about our experience at the convocation, the SRF World Convocation, which is like the big 
worldwide meeting in Week Los long. Angeles every year. Yeah. Yep. So we'll tell you all about that. We'll give you our ratings and we'll discuss other things that we forgot to say because there is so much. So much, you guys. So that's it for our show. Our producer and co-editor is Ian Kramer. Our theme music is written by Brian Keith Dalton. You can donate to this and all our investigations by going to MaximumFun.org forward slash donate and choosing us as one of your shows you listen to. It uh, makes this show possible. Yes, please, and, please. And also, you can like us on Facebook at mm-hmm. Facebook.com forward slash OnRack. O-N-R-A-C. Yes. Mm-hmm. Lots to experience there. And you can see our posts and talk to us there. And like us on iTunes as well. Write a review. Let people know this is a good show. That's how people find us. Yeah. Maybe give us five stars. But if you want to give us one star, maybe keep it to yourself. That's right. (laughs) Jerk. I'm looking at you, Abigail Harris. That's Uh, a name I made up. Okay. You were looking at me when you said that. (laughs) It was really worth it. It would be great if like the only one star reviews are from you. (laughs) You're like, that lady cost just the worst. Going to bring this show down. Uh, (laughs) And remember... You are made in his image. You cannot be violated or hurt by stones, nor bombs, nor machine guns, nor atomic bombs. Remember the best shelter is in the silence of your soul. And if you can develop that silence, nothing in the world, nothing in the world can touch you. And you can say, Janglabdha chaparanglavam mannate nadikantaka. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Hal. And we're the hosts of We Got This. The show that offers definitive answers to dumb debates that you suggest. Every Wednesday, we discuss the hot-button topics you never knew you cared so much about, like whether you should put ketchup on a hot dog. What's the best Star Wars movie? Whether it's better to be too hot or too cold. Coke or Pepsi? Best Marvel movie. Which is the best religion? I told you we're not doing that one. So join us every week on MaximumFun.org. And don't worry, everyone. We got this. We got this. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.